I think it's safe to say, perhaps even patently obvious to say, that wanting what we already have and saying thank you is central to living a blessed life. So in our last series, as many of you know, and some of you will are perhaps just hearing about, in our last series, Bless You, we focused on how much God wants to bless us. We taught that to be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who is for us and is doing good in us, to us, and through us. And repeatedly in that series, I and the others who shared in teaching that series with me said, God wants to bless you. That his desire to bless us is at the heart of his relationship to humanity. It follows then, naturally, that we would want to be blessed. However, a focus on future blessings sometimes keeps us from being grateful for what we already have, at least if I'm honest and I try to always be, uh, that's true for me. That a focus on future blessing sometimes keeps us from being grateful for what we already have. You might remember the story in the Gospels of the 10 lepers who were healed by Jesus. Uh, leprosy at that time was a debilitating disease, a terribly disfiguring and contagious disease. Lepers were cast out of society. And 10 lepers saw Jesus and were told in Scripture that they shouted with a loud voice, have pity on us. And then Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus healed them and told them to go show themselves to the priest who would, who would certify that they had in fact been healed from leprosy and would be allowed back into society. Uh, then we're told that one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I mean, it's a famous story. All 10 of them shouted their need of healing. Only one of them came back and shouted his thanksgiving for the healing. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? See, I confess that if I'm not careful, I am more like those nine guys who shouted my desire for something, but when I received it, didn't take the time to come back and say thank you. I, I'm embarrassed that my tendency is to be more like the nine. I receive something wonderful from God or from some person, and I quickly move on to the next thing. I have to frequently remind myself how important it is to take the time to say thank you for what I already have, for the blessings that God has already given me. I think that this is the secret between an anxious, looking for the future blessing and uh, practicing a calm contentment. I think that we can figure out how not to be anxious about the things we want, but content in what we have, even while living with hope and expectation for more. God wants to bless us, but he wants us to be thankful for what he has already done. So earlier this year, um, uh, I was 
suffer, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I say a lot of things I probably shouldn't say. Uh, but I, I was in a season where I was personally very discouraged. And my discouragement was really rooted in unmet expectations, things that I had hoped for that hadn't happened at least yet, hadn't happened as quickly as I wanted, and uh, in some cases didn't look like would ever happen. And during this season of discouragement, one morning in my devotional time, I read a psalm I'd read many times, but it, it struck me differently this time when I read it. It's the 16th Psalm and the fifth and sixth verses. Actually, the, the entirety of the psalm is really beautiful, but um, this is the part that stood out to me. It's where David said, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I saw, I saw two things here. First of all, I see the psalmist saying, God, you alone are my inheritance. In other words, if all I had was you, then that would be enough. You are my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. But then he moves on to say that God, though he is sufficient and all I need and he is my inheritance, he has decided to give me more than himself. He goes on to say, the land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. So he's saying, God, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. But then it's like he... he, he uh, offers a preview of the 23rd Psalm where he says, my cup overflows. You're my cup of blessing, but you have overflowed into every area of my life and the land, everything you've given me in my life is pleasant. And I felt as if God spoke to me through this scripture very clearly, that he said to me through this passage, Terry, I'm enough for you. I want you to be happy with me. But even then, I have blessed you with so many pleasant things. And before I want you to ask me for more, I want you to be able to say, you are my inheritance. You are my cup of blessing. You have given me a wonderful inheritance. My cup overflows. I am in a pleasant place. And I started as a discipline for the next several months, every morning, meditating on this passage. And sometime later, Sharon, my wife, for those of you who haven't met her, said to me, you seem to be feeling better. You, you seem to be encouraged. I think she was sick of me being discouraged. She said, what happened? And I explained to her, really no circumstances had changed in my life, but I explained to her what I just told you. This passage of scripture caused me to focus on what I already had to say, I have already a pleasant inheritance. If I get nothing else ever, I have a lot to be thankful for. And I quit moving into my future and decided to be content in the present and simply to say thank you. See, I think gratitude helps us move then from anxiety to contentment. There's a great passage in Paul's writings to the Philippians. Most of you would be familiar with it. Um, let me read it to you and talk about 
uh, how what I see here for us in this passage. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be, note the word, anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, he says, don't be anxious about anything. I don't know if there would be anybody in this room who could tell me that you are never anxious about anything. He says, don't be that way. And then he offers a formula that leads to contentment, as you'll see as we go into the rest of the passage. He said, go ahead and make your request to God known, but do it with thanksgiving. It's not as if now I've changed gears from the last series when I said God wants to bless you and please expect that and ask him for blessings. I haven't changed my mind about that. I knew I was headed this direction in the last series. But, but the point is that we're supposed to make those requests for the things we need for future blessings with thanksgiving for what we already have. And he says the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned from me, Paul wrote, or received or heard from me, he's writing from prison actually, put it into practice, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The King James says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So notice this, if you would. How do you move from anxiety to contentment? Well, we refuse to be anxious. We make requests for the things we need, but we do it with thanksgiving. We're asking for future blessing while also focusing at the same time on the pleasant place we are already in. And then we focus on good thoughts. We try to find in our present circumstance anything we can find that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. We think about such things. We force ourselves to focus on good thoughts and then we begin to learn how to be content in any circumstance. Again, I don't think that means that we don't ask for more. I just think that the place that we ask for more from is a pleasant place, and it is a pleasant place because we acknowledge it, because we recognize it, because we focus on it, because we find every good thing we can to be thankful for. Now, the thinking part of this, Note in the middle of this passage, there's this, there's this focus on the good things in, in your life, or perhaps, as I'll talk in a few moments, even the lives of others. You focus on those things, but the thinking part is very important. One of our recommended readings for this trimester, this, 
this, uh, this blessings uh, theme that we're focusing on during this last four months of the year is a book called Thanks by a, a professor of psychology at the University of Southern California named Robert A. Emmons. And this is really a wonderful little book. And um, I shouldn't call it a little book, it's a wonderful book. And he does a great job talking about gratitude, really from a secular perspective, though I suspect he's a believer because I saw a scholarly article he did in, 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 a, in a, uh, uh, the, the uh, Journal of Christian Psychology. But nonetheless, he says things that are true regardless. He says that gratitude is recognizing and acknowledging. Gratitude or thankfulness is an effortful state to create and maintain. Thanking belongs to the realm of thinking. Recog then he talks, about, he talks about acknowledgement and recognition. Uh, he talks about recognition in a way I've not heard someone say it before. He says, gratitude is recognition. Recognition is the quality that permits gratitude to be transformational. To recognize or to recognize is to cognize or think differently about something from the way we have thought about it before. Think about an experience in your life when what was initially a curse wound up being a blessing in disguise. Gradually, you emerged from the resulting darkness with a new perception. Adversity was transformed into opportunity. Sorrow was transformed into gratefulness. You recognized the event. You rethought it. You reperceived it. You became conscious of it in a new way. You, 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 you renew it, if you please. And so, so part of gratitude is intentionally recognizing that what the apostle Paul said that we are to think about anything we can possibly find that is good. And this is part of the secret of moving from anxiety to contentment. This is, a, this is actually an important teaching in the New Testament. The, uh, the, the great theologian Craig Keener talks about the importance of cognition or the cognitive process or thinking properly in terms of understanding our identity in Christ and our identity in Christ actually beginning to leak out into our everyday lives and the way that we conduct ourselves. There's this great passage in Romans 6. I'm not really going to get into this now, uh, but there's this great passage in Romans 6 where the Apostle Paul tells us in the King James that we are to reckon ourselves the same way that God reckons us. That God sees us as people who've been born again, that who, people who have an identity, as people who are righted with God through their relationship with Jesus Christ. He doesn't see the old us. He doesn't see the bad us. He sees us, if you please, through the work of Jesus that has been appropriated in our lives by faith in Jesus. And then he says, we are to reckon ourselves the same way that we are reckoned by God. We're supposed to re cognize the way we think about ourselves so that we see even the best of ourselves in the same way that God does because of what Jesus has done in our lives. A little rabbit trail there, but nonetheless. So the scientific findings regarding the practice of gratitude confirm the teachings of scripture, of course. 
Uh, this is always one of my favorite things is to read something that's supposedly new and the science, the so-called science of gratitude is a relatively new discipline. And to see that it, it finds that what scripture has taught, you know, in some cases for several thousand years, well, duh, actually when they, when they run the numbers, uh, it proves to be exactly true. Let me just read a little bit about this from, from Emmons in Thanks, a couple paragraphs. We discovered, he wrote, scientific proof that when people regularly engage in the systematic cultivation of gratitude, they experience a variety of measurable benefits, emotional, physical, and interpersonal. Adults who keep gratitude journals, for instance, on a regular basis, exercise more regularly, report fewer illness symptoms, feel better about their lives of a whole, as a whole, and are more optimistic about the future. Grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions, such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism. And the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. We have discovered, again, through scientific analysis, that a person who experiences gratitude is able to cope more effectively with everyday stress, may show increased resilience in the face of trauma-induced stress, and may recover more quickly from illness and benefit from greater physical health. Our research has led us to conclude that experiencing gratitude leads to increased feelings of connectedness, improved relationships, and even altruism. We have also found that when people experience gratitude, they feel more loving, more forgiving, and closer to God. Gratitude, we have found, maximizes the enjoyment of the good, our enjoyment of others, of God, and of our lives. So no wonder Scripture is constantly calling us to be thankful. Really, when you look for this theme in Scripture, it is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. Great example, Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's this great passage in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that's a little stunning, but uh, important. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How in the world do you continue to feel all this positivity and have your life filled with a sense of immediate blessing even in all circumstances? You do it by being thankful in all circumstances. Now, we're not supposed to be thankful for all circumstances. We're supposed to be thankful in all circumstances. We're not supposed to be thankful for all things, but in all things. I'm not interested in a life that's, that, that denies the tough things, the difficult things, the tragic things that happen in our life. But somehow, even in the most difficult circumstance, we find a way to be thankful. See, we know, we know that regardless of the circumstance, God is working everything out for our good. We know that regardless of the circumstance, what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. We know that many times what seems to be bad news ends up in retrospect being good news. We know sometimes that we don't know until the end 
when things have worked out over time, whether the apparent negative thing was really a positive thing, some of those things we won't know until the age to come. But because of our trust in God, we choose to be thankful in every circumstance. I love, I love Daniel Defoe's story of Robinson Crusoe. Uh, Daniel Defoe wrote this, you know, one of the great ad adventure novels of all time about how Crusoe set off on a voyage in search of a life of adventure. Uh, he endured a shipwreck in which he was the sole survivor, and afterwards he suffered a chain of misfortunes. He found himself cast away on a remote island, repeatedly chased by wild animals and hounded by the, the people native to the island. He endured severe bouts of loneliness and depression. During a particularly painful time, uh, Defoe has Crusoe starting to panic and um, he decided then to write a two-column list juxtaposing the good versus evil aspects of his circumstance. And under the evil column, he wrote, I am cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. I mean, this was true. But then, on the other side, he countered with a good statement. But I am alive and not drowned, as all my ship's company was. He continued like that. Uh, on the evil side, I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. But on the good side, he wrote, but God wonderfully sent the ship in near enough to the shore that I have gotten out so many necessary things as will either supply my wants or enable me to supply myself even as long as I live. And the list goes on. He closed this compare and contrast experiment with these words. Upon the whole, here was an undoubted testimony that there was scarce any condition in the world so miserable, but there was something negative or something positive to be thankful for in it. We are to be thankful in all circumstances. And though it may not change the circumstance immediately, it changes us. Now, remember then that gratitude Someone said that gratitude is the only disposition that's about something outside of ourselves. You really can't be thankful to yourself. You're thankful to someone outside of yourself. Uh, and, and it's important to remember that wherever blessings may come from, people, etc., that God is the first cause of all blessing. The James told us, James told us that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. So whatever good thing we begin to become aware of in our life, we see God as the ultimate source of that blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And with that in mind, then let me spend the rest of my time talking about three things that I think we should be thankful to God for. And I'm connecting this to the idea that, that when we're thankful to God for these things, it helps us to move from anxiety to contentment. Um, so um, here's the first thing. Be thankful that you has value. I know the grammar doesn't sound right there. Uh, Anne Lamott uh, wrote a book called Almost Everything. I disagree, frankly, with a lot of what Anne Lamott says in her attempts to be a, 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 
uh, a scholar, but I love the way she writes and I love her humanity. She wrote, uh, I heard something a few years ago that would have completely changed my life had I learned it as a child. It was at my church where I was teaching my Sunday school class of uh, two teenage boys and a little girl, obviously a small church, a little girl with elaborate and charming buck teeth too young for braces. That day I was teaching my one good message that we are loved and chosen as is, fearfully and wonderfully made, with love and all, perfect and fragile. I know that all teenagers believe that they are intrinsically defective. I asked the class if any of their best friends had acne, glasses, or problems at home, and if that made them love the friends less. Of course not. I asked them to say, I have value, and both teenagers did so with mortification. I turned to the little girl expectantly, the little girl with elaborate and charming buck teeth too young for braces. I turned to the little girl expectantly. She said, I has value. I asked her to say it again. I has value, she said. To which Lamont said, I has value. I want to get that tattooed on my forearm. Now, why would knowing this as a child, as Lamont said, have changed her whole life? Well, because as odd as it may sound, I believe that contentment begins with being grateful to God for the gift of you. You must know that you has value and that you must be thankful that God made you you. We have to begin by being at home with ourselves. To live and love fully, we must learn to love ourselves. We must be thankful for ourselves. Not to ourselves, but to God for ourselves. I challenge you to say this to yourself often. I has value. You can even say it in the grammatically proper way if you choose to, though it's not as much fun. I has value. I am thankful that I am me. What does it mean to really see ourselves as fearfully and wonderfully made? Listen to the psalmist David write a praise about his, David's, own self-worth. David said to God, the giver of all good gifts, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, this is an amazing sense of self-worth in a God-honoring way. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Who is David talking about? He's talking about himself. I know that David said full well. God saying to, to David saying to God, thank you for making me exactly the way you did. You did a great job, God. Thank you. David Crowder, I think, wrote a song years ago that when I understood the lyrics moved me. Uh, he said uh, that the, singing a praise to God, he said, you make everything beautiful. And then he said, what does that make me? In other words, if God did such a good job with everything else, then why shouldn't I believe that God did a good job with me? I am, you might note in recent times, on a campaign against self-loathing. 
Disliking ourselves has got to go. When you see yourself as no good or something less than a person of great value, what does that say about God? It's like Isaiah said, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? Now look, guys, we don't have value because we earned it. We have value because God said we do. We don't have value because we're perfect. We have value because God says even in our imperfect human condition, he saw so much value in us that he sent Jesus to redeem us, to help us live up to our full worth. When we understand that our value is a result of grace, a decision God made, something that God has done, something that God has given to us, then to say we have value is not an act of pride, it's an act of humility. It's thanks to someone outside of ourselves, for ourselves, in a way that brings praise to the God who created us. And I would encourage us to take a passage like Philippians chapter four, where Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I would ask you, if you just think about yourself, you, the human being, you who is so aware of all of your flaws and weaknesses, you who are so aware of your own sins and the way that you fall short, what would it be like for you to, to recognize your own thoughts about yourselves to where you look at yourself and you say, I'm gonna find anything good here that I can, anything true, anything noble, anything right, anything pure, anything lovely, anything admirable. If anything about me is excellent or praiseworthy, I'm gonna remind myself of that. I'm gonna think about that and I'm gonna say, God, thank you for making making me, me. I has value. Now, why, why do I think that's so important? I've just come to believe this is so important. And I think, frankly, that sometimes um, Christians do not do a good job with this because we are properly so concerned with pride but I am so convinced that it is a false humility for us to act like God didn't do it. He did everything else right, but he blew it when he made us the way we are. He did not blow it. He did not blow it. You do not honor God by acting like you are less than. You honor God when you accept yourself as the person that God made you and you are thankful first with yourself need to learn to be happy with ourselves. Doesn't mean that we don't also make requests to God with thanksgiving. God, I don't like, I don't, you're probably not pleased with this particular attitude I have. Thank you for all the good things that you've put into my personality, but this particular thing, I, 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 I hope that you'll change me. But thank you for making me me. You get the point, don't you? You has value. 
Here's the second thing that I want to say. It's that we're to be thankful to God because people have value. Let's talk about the good gift of people for a few moments. It follows then, if you have value, that other people do too. Let me just say this about what I just said. Don't sit around your whole life waiting for someone else to affirm the person that you are. Some of us will wait a long time. At some point, you need to be thankful for who you are in spite of whatever anybody else in the world says about you. All right, it follows in if you have value that other people do too. As we learn to be grateful for ourselves and gracious to ourselves, we must also learn to be grateful for others and gracious to others. You might remember here a little while ago when I started this, this message, it may seem like a lifetime ago to you, but just be thankful for whatever good is in it. I talked about this experience I had when I was really discouraged and unmet expectations and so on. A big part of my discouragement, frankly, concerned feeling extremely disappointed at a variety of people. I'd experienced an unusual season in which several key people in my life had, in my view, let me down in significant ways, particularly concerning promises that had been made and not kept and commitments that were broken. But I, I began to focus on this as part of God helping me come out of that season, along with saying, you know, God is my inheritance, my cup of blessing, he's given me a pleasant land, thank you. I also began to think about <clears throat> how that if God loves me in all of my faults, if he sees me as having value even in my imperfection, and if he treats me according to his grace and not according to what I deserve, then how could I not conduct myself toward others in the same way? If I'm gonna be thankful for me, then I'm gonna to have to be thankful for all those other people as well. If I were to apply then the Philippians 4.8 passage in my relationships with people, I would have to, as the New Living Translation has it, fix my thoughts on other people in terms of what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise. I am to focus my thoughts on other people in terms of whatever good I can possibly find in them. Emerson Egerich, in a wonderful book called The Four Wills of God, thank you, Cheryl, for the gift of this book, talked about one wife who'd been married for 40 years who wrote him that one night she felt God saying to her, I, evidently they were struggling in their marriage, I want you to imagine you are a giant highlighter, and I want you to highlight all those things that are honorable and true about your husband. See your husband through my eyes. And she got up and started writing, filling pages with why she respected her husband and was thankful for him. She rejoiced when she said, God filled me with his love for my husband and shone his light into our relationship. I think that's beautiful. Now, I do think we can make requests concerning other people. I don't think it means that concerning the people we love or, or people we have trouble loving, that, that we don't sometimes pray for them in a way that would hope to bring some positive change in their life. But we do it with thanksgiving. We do it while focusing on the best things we can find about them. 
And that's challenging enough when it concerns relationships with people that we love, we care about, we do life with. But I think this is especially important for people who are, as I like to say it, strange to us in some way. People who we disagree with, people who make life difficult for us, people who disappoint us, people who drive us crazy, extra grace required people. Does anybody have anyone like that in your life? Just people who, you, it's, uh, we, all, we all have a little bit of that. Uh, I, I've been uh, teaching, uh, thinking a lot about a passage in Ephesians 2 um, th that I won't get into at length. I'll just quickly come to the conclusion of the passage where the Apostle Paul talks about the huge divide that existed between first century Jews and first century Gentiles and how that through Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility that had separated these two people who had such animus, these two groups of people who had such animus towards each other was torn down and now the two had become one. Uh, he, he, he writes, Paul writes, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I, I would say to you, you know, the Jew-Gentile divide isn't today what it was 2,000 years ago. That was such a huge issue they were facing in, in, in early Christianity. But, but I, I would ask this, with whom do you feel a dividing wall of hostility? Who, when you see them, when you think of them, whether in person, you read about them in the newspaper, see them on the news, hear some of their music, whatever it may be, you feel a wall go up. What would it be like to try to find anything good in that person that would acknowledge that because they are a human being creating the image of God, they have value? I mean, are you the only, I want us to believe we have value, but is it just you or is it also that person that you find yourself not being able to stand? They show up on the news and you get a little nauseated. Do they have value? They either do or don't. Is it possible to find anything good in them? Anything noble? Anything praiseworthy? I'm not saying even that you shouldn't pray perhaps that whoever that person may be might change in some way, but you begin the request by offering it in thanksgiving. Now, this is getting more difficult now, isn't it? Okay, a little risk here. Sharon, you can leave if you want. Uh, she always gets uncomfortable. <clears throat> when I get uncomfortable, I'm a little uncomfortable with this, but I feel like sharing this. And I, I'm gonna be moving quickly towards a close. I'm on page nine of 10 and a half, okay? Just if you're counting, how many pages is he gonna turn? And then he's gonna turn them those way. How many, anyway. Um, let's talk for a second about the uh, previously the, the artist previously named Kanye West. <laughs> now, I'm going to be frank. Now, how many of you feel a little uncomfortable already? It's like, well, I don't know what it is about this guy, but it seems like everybody has some reason to be mad at him. It's like from all sides. I mean, this is an equal opportunity, like, for what, find your reason. Now, I'm going to have to say, if Kanye West walked in the room right now, I, I wouldn't recognize him, okay? I'm not, it's not my world. Somebody told me this morning he's married to a Kardashian. What is that? What kind of car is that? I mean, I, it's not my thing, right? So, so in recent weeks, <laughs> honestly, 
If she walked in the room, I wouldn't recognize her. I've heard about her. I know it's a big deal. I don't get the whole, I don't understand. What's wrong with everybody, all right? <laughs> but anyway, but in recent weeks now, as a Christian pastor, I've been seeing these headlines about Kanye West is releasing a gospel album, and I've read a little bit to know that he's controversial for about 900 reasons, and this album's coming out, and he's doing church services, and I'm just gonna be frank. I'm sitting there, you know, the, 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 the as of last week, 57-year-old bald white guy reading these articles, and there's a part of me saying, who, who the heck does this guy, whoever he is, think he is? Who, who's this guy who's gonna come out with an album about Jesus and he's having these services? And I, and I can't tell you I gave a lot of thought to it, but I'm gonna tell you that I felt a wall of hostility go up about somebody I don't really know much of anything about, except a lot of people, evidently he's a tremendous artist who a lot of people have decided they don't like very much now, and I, I whatever. All right, that, I'm telling you how I felt. A dividing wall of hostility. Last week, one of my kids played a song off of this gospel album that just, what do we say now, those of us who are with it, dropped? <laughs> and I have to tell you, I was kind of fascinated by this music. And um, it's not the kind of music I typically listen to. And, but I found something about it. I thought, well, at least I'm gonna to listen to this. And now I've listened to it about 10 times. <laughs> I know, I just lost half the church. <laughs> but I heard this, 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 this song he does at the end of the album. I don't remember what it's called, but in it, he talks about how he's decided to do a gospel album and the people who've judged him the most are Christians, right? And so I'm gonna wrap this now. <laughs> Said I'm finna gonna do a gospel album. Listen, play, play that part of the song, would you? Said I'm finna do a gospel album. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'd be the first one to judge About me. two minutes. Make it feel like nobody loved me. They'd be the first one to judge me. Feeling like nobody loved me. Told people God was my mission. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'd be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. Make you feel alone in the dark and you never see the light, man. You never see in home, man. You never see the domes. I can feel it when I write. Point of living in the right. If they only see the wrongs, never listen to the songs. Just to listen is a fight. But you whoop me for the fight. It's so hard to get along if they only see the slight from the love of religion. What are you being from the Christians? They'll be the first one to judge me. Make it seem like nobody loved me I'm not trying to lead you to visas But if I try to lead you to Jesus We get called halfway believers Only halfway read Ephesians Only if they knew what I knew of I was never new till I knew of True and living God, Yeshua The true and living God Somebody pray for me I deserve all the criticism you get 
perspective is two minutes of Kanye West, but here's what moved me in my own experience. I'm not saying what you should feel, I'm saying what I felt. When I listened to that, I felt the dividing wall of hostility coming down because here's what I heard a guy say. I don't know what's in his heart. I don't know much, you understand much of anything about the guy. Who am I to judge him? Now my point isn't Kanye. My point is that our human instinct is, so this guy is essentially saying, if I understand it correctly, hey, you have every right to criticize me if you heard the lyrics. I get why you'd criticize me. But I said I'm gonna come out with a gospel album basically in the whole CD he's saying, basically Jesus has changed my life is what he's saying. Has Jesus changed his life? Has Jesus not changed his life? Does anyone here personally know what's in his heart and what? I, I don't, I'm not, but, but, he, but, but he says, when I said I'm gonna do a Christian album, the first people to judge me were Christians who can't we all agree should be the last people to judge anybody who seems to be making any effort to do anything good in this world. And then he says something that seems perfectly fair for me. You can think whatever you like. You have a right to judge me if you want, but if you would, please, would you lay your hands on me and would somebody pray for me? And I think that all of us would be in a whole lot better place in our life and our world would be a whole lot better if we do a lot less judging of whoever it is who causes us to feel dividing walls of hostility and do a whole lot more praying. See, that's what I, in the societal divide, the wars going on in our culture, everybody's shouting at each other. I just wish Christians, who all of us have a right to our opinions and our thoughts and our ideas, right? But I wish that with all of that, we'd do a whole lot more praying with thanksgiving and that we'd look at people we disagree with and say, they have value. I'm gonna find whatever I can that's good. I'm gonna find what, I'm gonna look, may take me a year of research. I'm gonna find anything I can that's good. I'm gonna find anything I can that's noble. I'm gonna find anything I can that's praiseworthy. And I'm gonna say, God, thank you for putting this person on the planet for whatever it is I found. Anyway. The whole Kanye thing was a not well thought through, last minute thought, but I hope it made my point. I think the world is looking at people of Christian faith and whether they say it or not saying, would you just, would you just pray for me? The third thing we need to be thankful for is we need to be thankful for God's gift of himself. And now we're gonna receive communion together. 
We should be thankful for the incalculable value of God himself. Let's go back to Psalm 16, five, the Psalm I talked about impacting my life. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. I think that to begin before the beginning, we simply need to be grateful to God for who he is. There's this great passage in Genesis 17, one, where God is giving, promising Abraham what we call the Abrahamic blessing, another iteration of it. And God introduces himself for the first time as God Almighty. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. God Almighty, which is then used a number of times in Genesis, comes from the word El Shaddai. Sometimes El Shaddai is translated, popularly translated, more than enough. God says, Abraham, let me tell you everything I'm going to bless you with, but let me tell you first, I am more than enough. I want to bless you, but I want you to be happy just with me. And so I'd like for us to close our time today. I know I've said a lot. I'd like for us to close our time today by just being thankful to God for who he is, for the blessings that he's given us. I want us to be grateful for the gift of ourselves. And I want you to be able to look around a room like this and see all the reasons we should be grateful for each other. Could we stand together, please?